The entire team at the Emsolation Podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians and cultures of the lands and seas on which we live and work. We pay our respects to all First Nations peoples, elders and ancestors. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and stand in solidarity towards a shared future. I personally want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I record this podcast every week, the Wurundjeri people. I recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place I call home. Always was, always will be. M. Rossiano. With a smattering of blonde hair on the cheeks, but not too much around the butthole. If I could just tell you how stunning his bottom is. And Michael Lucas. You have a high capacity to feel a personal attack. This is M. Salation. Full respect for you calling yourself a 40-year-old, not a 40-something. Well done, well done, well done. Let's hold on to that. <laughs> I'm younger than you, bitch. You are. You're in M. Salation. Hello and welcome to Emsolation. My name is Em Rossiano. I'm a writer, a singer, a stand-up comedian, a maximalist power queen, a podcaster, a neurodivergent magic brain, and together with my best friend, award-winning, acclaimed Australian royalty, screenwriter extraordinaire, Mr. Michael Lucas, my best friend since I was 11. Did I already say that? Oh, God. You know what's going on rotation in my head? We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We don't... It's going to be in your head now. We don't talk about Bruno. Is it OK if I... I can... Can I put on a... Can I put on a Spanish accent? Because I'm Italian. It's me, Mario. Is that OK? I think so. I'll check. What was I saying? Hi! Today has been chaotic and hectic... And even though I did just introduce my very best friend, he will not be joining us today. Now, don't you go anywhere. Because don't worry, I have some formidable replacements. Not replacements, just, I don't know, designated hitters, off the bench, big hitters. Yes, Michael Lucas has just informed me. Now, it is late in the day for us. Normally we record on a Wednesday morning, but it is late Wednesday. We've been waiting for Michael to be able to get out of bed because he has shocking gastro. So bad that Marcella, my daughter, drove 45 minutes to his house from ours to deliver lemonade and crackers and gastro stop and hydrolide. And I'm going to be going back around there later tonight to check he's okay because Adrian, his husband, is away. And he was valiant in his efforts to attend the podcast. He even sent a picture of himself laying in bed, sweating. And I said, babe, sit it out. Don't worry. Look. Oscar nominations did come out, and for all episodes for Michael Lucas to miss, this is not ideal. But stepping in for Michael Lucas today is none other than your social media captain, Marcella Rossiano Barrett, my daughter. Huzzah! Purveyor and consumer of every single movie, you know, to ever be released. I mean, that is total... That's not true. But she really likes movies is what I'm trying to impress on you. After Marcella and I have dissected the Oscars and the nominations... Jamila Rizvi will be stepping in to talk about the incredible, incredible National Press Club address that happened today from Brittany Higgins and Grace Tame. We're going to be talking about the state of politics in general. Jamila, of course, is one of our most foremost political brains in this country, worked for the Labor Party. She's the woman you want to hear from. She's going to, we're going to talk about the state of play because it's been a fucking shit show this last week. <laughs> I mean, it's only been a week. Since someone said, to, well, since PVO from Channel 10, Peter Van Onselen, Channel 10's political reporter, said to ScoMo, oh, Gladys Berejiklian was texting with another senior MP that you're a complete psycho and a horrible, horrible person. So that's only been a week. It does feel like a lifetime. So Jamila will be stepping in for that chat. We've got you covered. Look, it's my first time doing this, really, you know, a regular episode without MJL, but we do need to let him heal and rest. Let the great experiment begin! He's like, what if I, like, come in on the phone and you just reveal the Oscar nominations to me? I'm like, babes, it's going to be okay. So you're in good hands. It's the ladies' night. Oh, what a night. We don't talk about Bruno. Can you believe they didn't enter that song into the Oscars? Like, what the? We'll get to that. How was your week, Pete? (laughs) Mine has been full of, look, just as life opens back up again and we go into, you know, 
school drop-offs and going back to group classes and just little, as I was driving Odie to school this week, I felt a little thrill of, oh my God, I used to do this before the pandemic. And Elio has started gymnastics classes, as some of you may have seen on my social media. And Elio is a child of the pandemic. He was not even a year old when we went into our first hard lockdown and has been in lockdown ever since and he's just turned three. He hasn't had a lot of social interaction with kids. He kind of sees them, acknowledges kids, he pats them, but he doesn't see himself as one of them. I think he sees himself above other children because he's only really associated with his father, some teenage girls and a lot of gay men. That's about it. And his grandparents, of course, but, you know, even then, there's no rules. Elio has never really had to face a rule, so we turned up to a kinder gym class in which they thought the idea of, like, you know, a little five-minute structured warm-up might roll, and no, no, no. Elio is an agent of chaos. Yep. He had no interest in doing anything other than hurling himself headfirst into the massive foam pit, which was always my favourite thing. Like, when I saw him running over to the foam pit, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to go to the foam pit. How annoying. And then I threw myself in headfirst. It was glorious. I mean, if you haven't thrown yourself headfirst into a foam pit in recent times, I highly recommend it. It's so fun. And then during the class, he was just kept heading back over to the foam pit. Like, the foam pit was... It was, it's toddler crack, I have to tell you. It, it just it was drawing them in. It was, all of them kept kind of wandering to the edge of the foam pit. I would pay happily because he was exhausted. I would pay for foam pit sessions. <laughs> just throw him in there and let him try and get himself out because it takes him two seconds to jump in and then a minute to get himself out. It's actually the perfect thing. Yep. So we did that. And also I want to let you know like about a little win because so oftentimes we're here and we're commiserating with each other and a lot of our bonding happens through my shared trauma and I'm aware of that. So I want to also make sure you and I share joy. Odette is back at school. She's in year 10 and because she's such a brilliant artist and she is, that's her thing. Like it's just, it's what lights my child up and it, it took us a long time to figure that out but we got there and we tried a lot of different things but art, my kid and my God, she can draw and she can paint and she can make. And it was decided that she would do year 11 art. So she's going to do one, two art this year. And she came home from her first studio art class with, and she sat with the big kids, the older kids, because Odie's quite young. She's 14 and in year 10. And she came home and she was excitedly showed me her folio, which has made my 14-year-old child, without being asked 15 times or grunting at me, looked and said, Mum, look at this. And I said, oh, how was it? And she said to me, when I sat down at the tables, I, I felt really happy. I like being in the class of the older kids and I felt like, I felt like it's the first time I felt really happy at school. I was like, first of all, I was like, oh, and I was like, oh, she found it. She's found her purpose, her spark, her, her thing. Like she knew it and we all knew it, but it took her realising that there's a place for her at school and she's going to have a win at school and she's going to be the best at something at school. And it's so important for her confidence. So when she's sitting in maths and just feeling like, what the fuck is going on? When she goes to art, she's in command. And it's like, have, for those of you who have seen Soul, you know when when they, they look for their purpose, they find their joy, their spark, and they get their earth pass. Odie got her earth pass this week. I'm alive! I'm alive! Free yourself! So I'm really, it's just like, I just, I walked away and had a little happy cry. I'm like, oh God, because I've been advocating for this kid since she was seven years old. And we knew that there was a bit of a disconnect and she was so unhappy, but so bright. And of course, now we know it's the inattentive ADHD and she's got auditory processing and we've been able to put things in place. And finally now, I don't know, I feel like it was, it's a bit of a reward. And we stuck at it and we found it. So one kid found the foam pit and one kid got her earth pass and what my other kid's filling in today so bloody hell kicking goals as I sit here with no bra on sweating sweating we're gonna talk about bra. no 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 all right it's time for me to go and we're gonna bring in Marcella <laughs> we're gonna be talking about the Oscar nominations <gasps> Gaga snubbed. Lady Gaga was snubbed. I'm trying to teach Alessandra the importance of not touching other people's belongings. I mean, will I ever recover? The only person nominated from that entire saga was the hair and makeup guy. Father, son, house of Gucci. Father, son, and house of Gucci. Been talking about that, don't worry. I had a meltdown when I saw it was not okay. And that's how I knew Michael was unwell, because I texted him in capital letters at 6am this morning, Gaga snubbed. 
and he didn't respond straight away. That's how I knew. That's how I knew something was wrong. We're going to bring Chella in now. Then we're going to bring Jamila in. It's jam-packed. The ladies have got you. We're going to gently cup you. We're going to be the wind beneath your flaps. Here we go. Play the music. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. I welcome in now Michael Lucas's very able and willing stand-in, a child, a, a co-host I had to grow in myself. Oh, my God. What are you? Like her mom? <laughs> this is it. This is the moment. I mean, often people in radio would say she's impossible to work with, so I literally, you know, had to make a person who would work with me who has no choice. Thanks for stepping in last minute, babes. No worries. It's what I'm here for. Yes. And also, luckily, today's topic is one you're quite passionate about. Yes. I mean, you could say that. (laughs) I mean, this morning, cast your mind back. I ran into your room. I didn't say good morning. I didn't bother with anything other than Gaga has been snubbed. The nominees for performance by an actress in a leading role. Jessica Chastain in The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Olivia Coleman in The Lost Daughter. Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers. Nicole Kidman in Being the Ricardos. And Kristen Stewart in Spencer. <gasps> oh my God. This is lead story for me. Like, yes, there is an amazing female director, Jane Campion, nominated 12 times for her movie Power of the Dog. Incredible. I hope she wins. It would be incredible because last year, obviously, a female director won with Chloe Zhao and Nomadland. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. But for me, the lead is the only person nominated from that movie was the hair and makeup guy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not going to be a good feeling. But, like... What? I don't understand how come she's been snubbed because mm. she's nominated for a BAFTA. She yep. got nominated for a Golden Globe. It's not wrong of her to think I'm going to wake up on Oscars Day, on Nominations Day, and, I mean, my phone is going to be exploding with congratulations. I just think about poor Gaga this morning having to compose her face. And But she did well. She was very poised, posted mm. a photo, a lovely, lovely caption. I don't consider myself a particularly ethical person. But I am fair. An homage to her friend and makeup artist who is the only person from that entire film. Although I do want to bring to your attention, Marcella, Jared Leto has been nominated for four Razzies. No, no. It needs new ideas, new energy. And I happen to be bursting with creativity. Yes, yes my yes. blabber may be full, but my dreams are even fuller. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the razzies are the oscars like polar opposite so it's they're the worst films the worst actors the worst performances given in the last calendar year yeah and i do want to say leading the charge though is diana the musical hello i'm diana uh wow (laughs) i mean james hewitt That's all all I have to say. No, but do you know what? Amy Adams has also got a few Razzies. For what? Dear Evan Hansen. And she did another film and they said she looked constipated the whole time. Oh, I won't have anyone besmirch Amy Adams. I love her. No, the Razzies are often as exciting as the Oscars, to be fair. But it's isn't it? It's kind of iconic that no one knew if Jared was going to get an Oscar or a Razzie. I don't. I can't think of another time where it could have gone either way. I mean, maybe he should have. Maybe we just needed that to be thrown into the mix. You're always brushing me off. I'm a designer. I, I need to express myself. That was a very chaotic performance. So, yes, Gaga has missed out. I'm very sad to not... I mean, I, I, my first thing, thought is, is she going to turn up? What is the protocol here? Do you go? I don't know. Maybe if the film had been nominated for other things. Or maybe she will go in solidarity of her friend. 
I think she has to go. I think she has to show up looking fuck off amazing, hold her head high. I mean, what would Wearing be, Gucci. Actually, Patrizia wouldn't go. She would curse the whole ceremony and maybe turn up in her dressing gown and throw a Molotov cocktail at the building. Like, I just feel like if she's going <laughs> as Patrizia, she probably wouldn't go and she would damn everyone to hell. It's time to take out the trash. So, look, that, that was the big lead for me. But this movie that Jane Campion has been nominated for, The Power of the Dog. A man was made by patience. And the odds against him. For what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother? Peter! If I did not save her. I knew it was a Western, so that turned me off. Yep, same. Not into mm. that. But it's got 12 noms. I know mm. we can't deny it. I feel mm. like we might have to watch it. And also, one of my favourite actresses, Kirsten Dunst, who I have loved forever and a day. I mean, your interview with the vampire, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Bring it on. Bring it on. I loved her in Becoming a God in Central Florida. She's yep. a queen. Yep. She's nominated. And then what I didn't know is that she is, uh, together with the other actor in the film, has been nominated, Jesse Plemons. Plemons. Friday Night Lights. We are our eyes full of hearts, can't lose. That's right. Landry Clark Landry. from Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're together in real life and they met on the set of Fargo and they have children and they play l- like lovers in this movie and they've both said they're each other's favourite actor and they want to work together again. So couple goals. And they've been <laughs> numbed together for the same film. Like that's that doesn't happen. I don't think so. I, I feel like imagine do husband and wives win Oscars at the same time? Is that... Is there a precedent for this? That would be very exciting for me. I love that shit. So I think we will. June got 10. I loved June. You need to face your fears. Come with me. Yep. That was epically epic. Although we have to wait like two years for the next one. but I know, but I'm willing to wait. It just really had something for everyone. It had Timothy Chalamet for Odette, Oscar Isaacs for me, Jason Momoa for you. It just it just was cross-generational. It yep. gave us everything we wanted. And also, what else was nominated that we... Oh, now you... I haven't seen Licorice Pizza starring the girl from Haim. Mm-hmm, Alana. Yes. No, I went and saw that. I loved it. It's been nominated for Best Picture, Best Director... Best screenplay, which is the big three you want. Like, that's mm. the impressive ones. Mm. And Bradley Cooper is in it in a lot of white linen. Here's my, fa- <laughs> here's my favourite bit from the, the trailer that I've watched. Do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand, yeah, like sands, like the ocean. I do want to see that now. That looks like a film that I would enjoy. I was avoiding it. I don't know why, but it kind of looks like it's, it's the, the coming of age. It's vibe. It's a coming yep. of age. It's like mm. an offbeat sort of romance, but... And Alana Haim's, like, her character's just a vibe because she just, like, walks around telling everyone to essentially... Can I swear in this? Do we swear? You can swear, it's fine. Okay, well, since she tells everyone to fuck off the whole time. She's just, like, smoking cigarettes and, like, Good. running around town and telling people to fuck off. So she's a mood. Salt. Salt. Yeah. Will Smith is up for Best King Actor. Richard. Yeah. Oh. Oh, my God, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air might get an Oscar. But then one of the most exciting categories, obviously Best Actress, yes, Nicole Kidman, our Nicole, nominated for playing Lucille Ball. Kristen Stewart is nominated for playing Princess Diana. Jessica Chastain is nominated. Mm-hmm. Olivia Colman and Bonella Picross yeah, is nominated also. So, you know. But do you know what? None of those actresses are nominated in a Best Picture. And that hasn't happened for, I think, like 15, 16 years. Often happens, though, if you want to win the Oscar, you do the biopic and you become the person. And True. it has happened in the past where the film is balls, but the performance can't be denied. Yeah. A la old mate who played Freddie Mercury. Hi, I'm Rami Malek. True, that was a mess. So, and the guy from Rocketman, too. Hello there, I'm Taryn Edgerton and I play out and join Rocketman. One of the big categories that's really bringing the big guns out is best song. Yes, although we're still mad about Disney's fuck up with not nominating... Yeah, so Encanto's big here. Okay, Encanto's big here. Now, they've decided to, they, when you, you enter the Oscars, you can enter the Oscars, by the way, uh, they put in a song, this song, it's called Dos Oroguitas. Now, they went with that song over arguably the greatest song to come out in the last 10 years. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno, no, 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 no. We don't talk about Bruno. Which is overtaken, let it go. Yeah. So, yeah. Or I would have accepted pressure. Like a trip, trip, trip that'll never stop. Whoa. 
any of the first four songs, the family of Marigal, yeah. that one's epic Welcome too. Welcome to the family, Madrigal. Madrigal. Yes, okay. Welcome to the family, Madrigal. The home of the family, Madrigal. We're on so many bangers. Yeah. And they chose, I get it, it's the first totally... Spanish language song Lina's written. I understand why they put True, it in. Yeah. It's it's lovely. The other thing to point out that the other contenders are just a little artist called Beyonce. I Feels so good to be alive. That's cool. I mean, sure, we'll put a grab in now too. You don't just get cellos. No, you don't need it. You don't need it. <laughs> that was that was yeah, perfect. That was, you really nailed it. From King Richard. King Richard is the story of Serena and Venus Williams's ambitious father and how he kind of helped mm-hmm. them on their meteoric rise to the tennis world. So that's what that movie's about. Also, we have No Time to Die by Billie Eilish. Yep, which will probably win. Like, that's the obvious choice. Mm. We have uh, Down to Joy by uh, COVID denier Van Morrison. Oh, yes, yeah. great. Yeah, and also we have Somehow You Do by Diane Warren. So it's it's a huge, it's Titans. And another fact I love, if Lynn gets this, he officially gets his EGOT, which is an Emmy, mm-hmm. an Oscar, a Grammy and a Tony, and not many people have achieved the EGOT. Beyonce also would be, she's missing a Tony, I think, but this would be Lynn, like this is a big deal for Lynn if he takes it out. So I'm kind of hoping for that. Well, I just feel like then he should have been more strategic and they should have put in Bruno. I think this was strategic putting in the Spanish language one. I truly do. I do. Are you? Yeah. Mm-mm. I think it'll be I think it'll be the sentimental faith. But uh, look, you know, it's it's coming up on the 27th of March. I am also really happy that Andrew Garfield, who played Jonathan Larson, the creator yes. of Rent, yep, in Tick, Tick, Boom. This is the life of Bobo Bobo. This is the life of Bobo Bobo. This is the life of Bobo Bobo. Bohemia. <laughs> I think... You know, he's having a moment, Andrew Garfield. I wouldn't be mad if he won. No, I'm I'm so here for that. I think he should. Mm, I agree too. So we'll obviously keep you informed. I don't know if I'm going to get over Gaga not being nominated. <laughs> what do I even focus on? I mean, I guess Kristen Stewart. What is she going to wear? And if she actually ends up winning, imagine the speech. If she actually even ends up going. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past her. Just be like, nah, no, I'm not vibing it this Tony year. Tony. Thanks, guys. We'll be back next with Jamila Rizvi to talk about the incredible National Press Club address that went down today. Brittany Higgins and Grace Tame both addressed the National Press Club gallery and it was electrifying. Grace Tame saying the words, and I quote, brace yourselves. That's next. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is, is, is M. Salation. Okay, well, given the fact that Michael is unwell, I'm bringing in, look, to be honest, I'm kind of glad it's her because it's been a big fucking day. Jamila Rizvi, thank you for stepping in with like an hour's notice. Anytime at all. It's not a big day. There's nothing much happening around the traps. <laughs> so I have a lot of time on my hands. Babes, let I just want to, okay, let's do an episode recap for everyone to bring them up to speed. So obviously it's been only a week since ScoMo was called a psycho and a horrible, horrible person to his face by Channel 10 political reporter Peter Van Onselen. He was speaking about a leaked text message exchange between Gladys Berejiklian and an unknown MP. And everyone's like, oh, wonder who it was, wonder who it was. Barnaby Joyce then came out and said, oh, we need to find out who it was. They need to name themselves. And then a few hours later, Barnaby Joyce said, actually, forget it. Doesn't matter. Who cares? Doesn't matter about the texting. And then after that, it came out that Barnaby had also been texting some shit about ScoMo. <laughs> and after that jam, there was a tour of groveling and snivelling from Barnaby, just really inserting himself in ScoMo's anus. Have a listen. Working one-on-one with him. It's a, a completely different scenario. I, I know uh, the Prime Minister vastly better now. As I've said before, he's honoured every agreement, every agreement I've heard him say to others and every agreement he's had with me. And they're the actions of a person who is trustworthy. And then former New South Wales Premier Bob Carr sends out a tweet going, it was totally Peter Dutton who called ScoMo a psycho. Totally. 
Dutton said, no, man, it is not me. Check yourself, Bob Carr. And then through his 100% support behind the PM, and I don't know if you know sport, but when the board supports the coach 100%, he gets sacked the next week. And Jamila, on a side note, like if Peter Dutton is planning a coup, imagine having his self-confidence thinking that's going to work. Look, firstly, I want to commend you for that summary because it was quite similar to Laura Tingle on 7.30 last week. It's pretty much how she said it all went down. Word for word. Word for word. Mine take on the saga that is Ospol at the moment. But I just, Peter Dutton tried this obviously with Turnbull. Yeah. And he, he fancied himself. He fucking fancied himself. Oh, I don't think you can use the ED on the end of that word. He fancies himself. He has always fancied himself, despite being a very, very, very scary man. He thinks he can be electorally popular. popular. He thinks he can be electorally popular. (laughs) That's why I like the audacity of this man. And I... I fantasise about having that kind of delusional self-belief. He genuinely thinks if he was the leader of the Liberal Party, he would fucking get elected. But I just... Hats up. Good parenting. Whoever raised that man, far <laughs> out. is it? Is it? I don't know if it is good parenting. I think I've got some questions for those parents. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing is that within the coalition... Mm. Uh, within the Liberal National Party and within the Liberal Party room, who is who chooses the leader of that mm. party, mm. Dutton is the favourite amongst the Conservatives and they do like him even if others don't. I, I know. Andrew Bolt likes him too. Even Andrew Bolt has turned on ScoMo and said that he looks to be finished and he's making a fool of himself and that old potato man needs to get ready to lead. But. I think people are ignoring the real threat. You know, I like my theories, my uneducated theories. Okay. Yeah. Frydenberg. Oh, no, no, that's not that's not a crazy theory. I mean, Frydenberg could be the, the other one putting his hand up. Absolutely. I believe Dutton's like doing a little bit of, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. I think Frydenberg's going to make the moves. And I would say at a political level, I think he's safe for this election now. I think the general view is it's just Mm. too close. It's too late. But Mm. we have seen parties change horses, so to speak, uh, pretty close to an election. And Mm. we've seen that happen, to be honest, the last handful of elections because Labor swapped from Rudd to Gillard and went to an election Mm. not long after that. Uh, Mm. Then Labor swapped from Gillard to Rudd and went to an election not long after that, and then uh, Tony Abbott wins, and then Abbott, we go to Turnbull, and there's an election not long after that, and then Turnbull, we go to ScoMo, and there's an election not long after that. So, I mean, there's form. There's form for it to happen at the last minute. Bonkers. It's and on February 12th, isn't it Super Saturday? New South Wales gets four by-elections, high profile, and one's Libs, one's Labor, there's a national in there, and... These four by-elections really give a barometer on how old Dominic's going and also how ScoMo's gone because if, if any of those seats turn, I feel like if Super Saturday, if that 12 goes wrong, I think ScoMo's fucked. I think there could be a coup. I, th- I, that's, I really think, like, they might go into crisis mode. But, I mean, it's just a shit show. And, and so yesterday scomo apologized formally apologized in i'll call him the prime minister formally apologized in parliament to victims of sexual assault harassment and bullying in parliamentary workplaces and i particularly want to acknowledge Ms. Brittany higgins whose experience and more importantly courage is the reason why we are all here today and i want to thank her for that i am sorry we are sorry I'm sorry to Ms Higgins for the terrible things that took place here. And the place that should have been a place of safety and contribution turned out to be a nightmare. And then 24 hours later, we had what I think is one of the most extraordinary speeches ever given at the National Press Club. You want a fun fact on the National Press Club? I was going to ask you, can you explain to Emsolation listeners what that is? Because we've been hearing a lot about it and not everyone knows what that is. Yeah, so it's a club 
the same way you have an RSL or your football club or your local cricket club, right? Except it's a little Ah. bit fancier. It is a club for journalists who work in the Canberra Press Gallery. It's got a Mm -hmm. bar and a restaurant and stuff upstairs. Downstairs, there's a ballroom type function room. And every Wednesday, there is a major speech held at the National Press Club. Sometimes it's a politician. Sometimes it's a policymaker. Sometimes it's someone influential from the not-for-profit sector. Sometimes it's an economist. Uh, Most of the time, we don't pay a lot of attention to who's speaking. Occasionally, we pay a bit more attention. And then there are days like today when it is news making content happening at the National Press Club. And it's interesting because it's been two weeks in a row because as you mm. mentioned earlier, last week it was the Prime Minister at the National Press Club where he got asked whether or not he was indeed a psycho because people were texting about that. And then this week at the National Press Club, we've had Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins. And my fun fact is that I was a waitress at the National Press Club when I was 18 because I'd be walking around being like, hello, do you want the chicken or the beef? And then I get to listen to the speech because I was ah. cool then the same way I'm cool now. You are cool. So cool. Oh my God. I love that fact about you. That makes, that's so on brand. I'm sorry, but that is the most on brand job for you I could think of. The only other thing would be a librarian's assistant in the political section of the state library or something like that. Like I couldn't hope for more from you. I worked in a legal pizza joint and got paid in cash. So that I feel like works for me as well. Yeah, it was run it by is. gangsters. I used to turn up to work. There'll be bullet holes in the wall. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like it works for both of us. So yes, today our sexual assault survivor Brittany Higgins and sexual assault survivor advocate and former Australian of the Year Grace Tame spoke. Sidebar to this: You would think that if you not twenty four hours earlier, as the Prime Minister of Australia, had apologised to well, essentially Brittany Higgins when he did. You would turn up for this address or at least listen to it live. But our Prime Minister did not, Jam. No, he didn't. And look, he's a busy man. Uh, It's a long way to travel. It's about 600 metres from Mm. Parliament House in Canberra to the National Press Club. And, you know, that's a five-minute walk. He's a busy man. He's got a lot on (laughs) I mean, he wasn't there. He sent a bunch of his uh, women ministers. Uh, he's got a lot of them. Who didn't stand and clap at the end of the speeches, by the way. They did Noted. not. They, they applauded from their seats. Oh, look, I've got to say, I felt a little bit sorry for them. Uh, don't love their politics, but they were kind of thrown into the lion's den and they couldn't please anyone during that speech. They just had to sort of sit there very stony-faced so that mm. no one took a photo of them that made them look like they were agreeing with what was being said on stage. No blinking, no nodding, no. nothing. Mm-mm. Just like... Staring, bug eyes. So he, yeah, he, he, it kind of makes the apology for me a bit hollow. Yeah, I think that's legitimate. I mean, I think these two women are extraordinary and nothing takes away from that. But no part of me expected the Prime Minister to be there today or to take much notice of what those two women had to say today. Brittany Higgins was only invited to the formal apology the day before, 24 hours in advance, because she was like, hey, maybe I could be invited. <gasps> You're joking. Mm-mm-mm-mm. What? She she had to push for her own invitation. She got it 24 hours before and there was some, you know, oh, there's a mix-up and we didn't, you know, there's a lot of security, COVID. We can't have many people in the building. Hang on. Didn't they let some freedom unvaccinated protesters into Parliament House this week? Didn't they sign them in? There are some questions to be asked, I think, about the (laughs) suggestion that Brittany Higgins would have been invited, but there were some things that got in the way. But to me, I don't know, I, I didn't think about the Prime Minister at all during the speech of those two women. They were standing there in their power. They were, the bar was so high. And they cleared it with room to spare. Those speeches were electric. We're going to be talking about them for ages. I agree. I just got goosebumps thinking about it. Brittany Higgins started and for me, one of the most poignant parts and and the thing that I've been hung up on is that idea that we'll have a listen. What bothered me most about the whole imagine if it were our daughter's spiel wasn't that he necessarily needed his wife's advice to help contextualise my rape in a way that mattered to him personally. And that's how he realised it was a bad thing. I I didn't want his sympathy as a father. I wanted him to use his power as prime minister. So I'm so glad she addressed that so publicly. Me as well. I also want to just speak to the personal courage that would take, not just of someone 
who has experienced allegedly horrific Mm. abuse inside the walls of Parliament House, not just someone who is speaking directly to a prime minister through Mm -hmm. the media, but to a prime minister, but someone who grew up in the Liberal Party. You know, she was a staffer. She would have idolised senior Liberal parliamentarians. When she worked as a staffer, the prime minister is the most important person in that building. And to speak truth to power in that way, I think, is really magnificent. The other thing Brittany Higgins said, which really stayed with me, was she talked about the Gaitchens report. Phil Gaitchens is the head of the Prime Minister's department and he was charged with investigating the Prime Minister's own office to see whether or not Scott Morrison's staff knew about the allegations that Brittany Higgins had been raped in Parliament House before it became public. That mm. report has not been handed down. They've had a year. They have what do you not, mean? They have why, not, why not? They, they're still working on it. Uh, still working on it. There would be, what, 50 staff in the Prime Minister's office? Like, if they were chatting to one a week, they should be done by now. It doesn't take that long. Uh, they haven't finished that report. It hasn't been handed down about what the Prime Minister's office knew about her alleged rape. And what she said in the speech was that she has now come to terms with the fact she will probably never see that report that even if it gets done, it'll never be made public, that she won't get the chance to have that as part of her healing. And I just thought, like, I mean, what amazing maturity, but also maturity she just shouldn't have to have. Yeah, You know, as a survivor who's been through what she has so publicly, she is entitled to know what people knew and when. I feel like there's a real disconnect on the way the Liberal Party and especially the Prime Minister's inner circle treat her. If this was any other situation in any other environment, the humanity's been sucked out of this. They're not thinking about her as a person who's had a traumatic experience. They're looking at her as a, as a liability, as collateral damage, as a someone political who could cost them the election. Yeah, it, it, that's what got me is the dehumanising of these survivors. Yep. And and there's two women who have shown up, especially Brittany, in a place that would bring nothing but trauma for her. She stood there and she was composed and I would have been sobbing and angry and and we expected that of her because if she had have shown any anger or if she had have turned up not looking as immaculate as she did, like the pressure that we put on a woman who's already been through so much and both of them were so articulate and you could see the pressure and stress they both felt in delivering everything without stumbling, without showing too much emotion. Like for fuck's sake, if they wanted to turn up in their pyjamas, we owe them that. But instead they're still having to show up in this perfect way to not be criticised and be able to get a message across without having people come for them and their families and their reputations. Like... I was just watching them just thinking, fucking hell, what we have expected of these two incredible women, it makes me fucking angry. And then Grace Tame got up and, my God, she's fucking electrifying. What an advocate. What an orator. The way she got up there and she's completely owned it, not allowing anything to intimidate her. The fact that she refuses to play by the social rules, by the media's rules, by political rules. She just stands up there and goes, no, I'm doing this my way and I won't bow to all of these expectations that I should be polite, that I should smile in a photo, that I should behave in a way that you all expect me to behave but that I do not want to. And I think Mm. that's made even stronger by the fact that she represents survivors of child abuse and Mm. survivors of sexual assault because as a child she had her agency stripped from her and Mm. she was put in a position where she was forced to be quiet, forced Mm. to play the game, forced to play nice and she has lived that for Mm. year upon year upon year because of a man who should have been stopped decades before her. He was Mm. abusing girls at that school before she was born before she yeah. was born and mm. teachers knew about it. It had been reported. Mm. So she was she was subjected to that for years and it's like she has come to a place in herself where she said, never again, never mm. again am I just sticking by the playing nice standards because that's what people expect of me because I know that's dangerous. And by refusing that, I don't know, she's just claimed this power that I 
I don't think I've ever seen in another human being. So, after a year of being re-victimised, commodified, objectified, sensationalised, delegitimised, misquoted, gaslit and thrown under the bus by the biased mainstream media, despite my inclusive messaging, I would just like to take this <laughs> opportunity to have a glass of water. <laughs> And thank you for reminding me that I really have nothing to lose. I was sitting at my computer and I dropped everything and I was like, oh, here she goes, here she goes. Brace yourselves. <clears throat> On the 17th of August last year, not five months after being named Australian of the Year, I received a threatening phone call from a senior member of a government-funded organisation asking for my word that I wouldn't say anything damning about the Prime Minister on the evening of the next Australian of the Year Awards. You're an influential person. He'll have a fear, they said. A fear? What kind of fear, I asked myself. A fear for our nation's most vulnerable? A fear for the future of our planet? And then I heard the words, you know, with an election coming soon. And it crystallised. A fear. A fear for himself and no one else. A fear that he might lose his position, or more to the point, his power. Sound familiar to anyone? Well, it does to me. The fact that she was able to so articulately point out that the same thing that happened to her as a kid, being told to shut up or you'll cost me my job, has happened to her again. Shut up or this powerful man will lose his job. And the way she was able to put that together without breaking things, I, you know, and I know this has been said, but you burn a woman to the ground, you strip her of everything, you fucking, it's scorched earth. There is nothing more powerful than a woman who survives the scorched earth and she has gone scorched earth and she would be terrifying because no one can manipulate that woman anymore. And that would be terrifying to the Prime Minister's office. I also thought it was interesting that both women in different ways levelled mm. the same criticism at institutions, government, media, mm. elements of the community, which is that, yes, we have done a remarkable job in the last 12 months of talking about these questions and issues that don't usually get talked about. We have mm. brought allegations of sexual assault and sexual harassment into the light and we have started a conversation. But unless we can move from the talking about to mm. the doing, the mm. talking about is meaningless. Mm. And if we're all going to stand around patting ourselves on the back because we're talking about it, that mm. doesn't help people like Brittany and Grace. That doesn't help a kid who's going to school every day and being abused. And the fact mm. that the state legislation in different territories and um, different jurisdictions means that they can be the, their abuser can be charged or go to jail for completely different periods of time. That doesn't mm. help someone like Brittany who's going to court in June to face her alleged rapist and try and get some effing justice. That doesn't do anything for them. Talking only gets us so far. And I think that's what we all need to remember when we go to vote. I hope that the women of this country especially want more for themselves. So where to from here, Jamila Rizvi? Who's going to win the election? Oh, God, that's a hard question. Um, I am someone whose optimism has slowly over time just been kind of chipped away chipped away oh, so God, I, I don't, I don't feel hugely uh, optimistic for um my team which is the labor party mm. uh but i do think it is possible i do think uh people are concerned about scott morrison's repeated failures with the truth and mm. his willingness to paint a pretty picture over clear errors of judgment that mm. have cost people dearly. And when I mm. say cost people dearly, the thing that has cost a whole lot of people in this country is their lives through this mm. pandemic. Um, mm. So I, I do think that there is some frustration and mm. readiness for change, uh, but this country is complicated. It's not as simple as 
the majority of Australians vote for one party over the other and we're done. That's not how it works. It's about the right votes in the right seats for the right people. So the electoral math is tricky, but it could absolutely go either way. I feel like at the moment a bit scared and in free fall and not dissimilar to what was happening around the US elections where you just felt like everyone's all bets are fucking off. There is no humanity. We're going for the throat. We're going whatever it takes to win, we're going to do. And I'm getting the taste of that in the water. And as a citizen of this country, I do, I genuinely feel scared of what are they going to do to win? What are they going to distract us with? What shit are they going to dig up? What horrible things are going to happen and what things are going to be passed without us even knowing because we're being distracted by something else. I'm scared for the next 12 weeks in my country because it feels different. It feels nasty and personal and unsafe. Yeah, and I think the the risk of that is that good people who are interested in what happens to this country but not really interested in politics, which is I think most people, turn away because the ugly stuff – Unless you're a political junkie like you and me, you're not Mm. sitting up close and watching it. You're going, oh, gross. I don't want to see that. And you look away and you focus on other things. But right now we really need people to focus on this stuff because this election is really important. Well, Jamila, thank you so much. This has given me everything I hoped for. Just (laughs) fucking fucking Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins. Like I've never cheered at a national press club situation. I was was just going fucking yes. It 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 was like a football match. It was some kind of sporting concept for me today. It was like going to church. It Went to church today. Church. And the preachers were incredible. It was. They were. It felt good. It felt really good. And I want to live in a country that listens to yeah. people like that. And yeah. more importantly, takes action off the back of what they've got to say. So important. Thank you, my darling. Thank you for filling in your gem. Anytime. Thanks, babes. This is Emsolation. Okay, that's all we have time for. I do want to urge you, if you haven't yet seen Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins speaking at the National Press Club, I implore you to, I encourage you to. It will it will put you in your feels. It will put you in your power. It was an amazing moment in time, truly. I also want to thank my daughter, Marcella, for stepping in to talk Oscars. I want to thank Jamila Rizvi. They both had no notice and they stepped in and they stepped up. We don't talk about Bruno. I've done some research. I've spoken to some people and it is the general consensus that it's not okay for me to sing in a heavy Spanish accent because it can kind of like reinforce harmful stereotypes. So I thought maybe I could sing it like Patrizia Reggiano because she's Italian and I'm Italian. But then when I tried to do that, it was even more offensive. So I'm just going to sing it just just like me, just natural. That means we don't talk about Bruno. It's such a good song. It's it's just seven. It's going to be in your head forever and ever. I can't believe that's not the song they didn't put in the Oscars. What were they thinking? Before I go, I want to check the voicemails. I already have. I've already heard them, but I want you to hear them. And then there's lots to unpack in these two. Okay, let's check. Hi, Em and the entire Emsolation team. Love your work. I just want to put it out there. I'm very much looking forward to your show in Brisbane in May. I'm going solo and thought we might throw it out there and see if any emsolators want to catch up for a drink beforehand, Um, whether or not you're going solo or with friends. um, It'd be great to meet some other emsolators in the flesh right before we see Queen M. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Emma and Michael. Um, For the love of God, please tell me that we are going to discuss... Tommy Lee talking to his penis in Pam and Tommy because because I'm still getting my head around this, but I have to hear your guys' take on it. So please make sure you've watched it because I have a feeling you're both going to have a lot to say. Okay, loving the idea of all the Brisbane Emsolators meeting up before my live show. I am playing QPAC in May. I think there's 25 tickets left. It's not a lot. There's only single tickets left, I think. I don't know. If you Google it, you'll be able to see. I'm sorry. I'll get Ben to put a link in. I'll get Marcella to put a link into my live shows this week on the Instagram. But, yes, meet up in the flesh. You're all very like-minded individuals. The second voicemail, this is very complex. I'm extremely torn. I feel weird in my ethics about even watching Pam and Tommy. For those of you who don't know, Hulu made a, I think it's a six-part short limited series around Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee and the sex tape and how, what, how that all exploded and the, the players involved in that. And Pamela Anderson 
doesn't want to be a part of it, didn't want it going out. And I remember thinking, oh, this makes me feel weird that she's not a part of this story. And then, you know, there's a lot of kind of think pieces around it saying, no, this is empowering her. This is actually telling her side of the story. But still, she didn't want it to go out there. And then I looked into it more and the film is written and directed and produced by men. I think the episodes are all produced by women, but I know the original concept and the showrunner is a man. And again, to me, it kind of feels like the entertainment industry is once again profiting from Pamela Anderson's trauma without her consent. So Michael has watched it. And yes, there is a scene and Tommy Lee did uh, kind of vividly outline this in his autobiography. He was once so high that he had a conversation with his dick about how much he loved Pamela Anderson. What is this sentence? He had a conversation with his penis about how much he loved Pamela Anderson and in the show they have chosen to recreate this scene with a penis puppet and he has a proper conversation with a penis puppet. And I just wish I could have been in the writer's room when someone pitched that because it is the only kind of fantastical moment in the whole thing and probably the only bit that I... I laugh at and I applaud. But everything else, yeah, I feel like, you know, they've come out and said we want to sympathise with Pam but also they've dug up all the trauma and her personal story for a financial gain again. So that's the long-winded answer to your question and why we probably won't talk about it on the podcast because I'm not going to watch it in solidarity with Pammy. Wow. Okay, that was a lot. We'll catch you next week. Uh, we found a new office. I won't say anything else till I've signed the lease, but we have found a new insulation space, which is very exciting. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Emsolation Podcast. Marcella is a social media captain. Everything you need to know will be going up there. Make sure you've signed up to the newsletter. It is the show notes. It's everything you need to enjoy this episode. You know, if you're not getting the Emsolation newsletter, you're only getting half the story. I finished Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I loved it so much. I'm ready for season four. I can't decide who I wanted to be with. I am living for the Gilded Age. It's terrible. I hate it. I give it 10 out of 10. That's on Paramount+. Plus. It's just like a Downton Abbey, but in New York. And Christine Baranski is like the, the snuffly, rich old spinster that hates everyone. On paper, it is my dream. It's terrible. It's amazing. I hate it. 10 out of 10. So if you're looking for something to watch to purely escape, I highly recommend it. It's terrible. Okay, that's enough from me. I think that's everything. Have a wonderful week and we will chat. Hopefully, I don't know what's going to develop in the world of Australian politics between now and next Thursday. I'm scared. All right, gang, speak soon. Bye. Emsolation with M. Rossiano is a Spotify exclusive podcast hosted by M. Rossiano with Michael Lucas. Executive produced by Benjamin Wosley. Produced by M. Rossiano. Edited by Ezekiel Fenn at Entente Music with videos by Liam O'Brien. Socials by Marcella Rossiano Barrow with assistance from Jem Evans and Georgia Watts. Plus occasional technical wizardry, wine, and coffee from M's dad, Vincy. Get more Emsolation by following the Emsolation podcast on Instagram, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can join other Emsolators at the Emsolation group on Facebook. The answer is Harry Styles. If you love what we do, share this podcast with a friend and make sure you're following us on the Spotify app. Thanks for taking time out to listen to this week's episode and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. (laughs) 